This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. We're starting off with the importance of using inclusive and respectful language when talking about or to persons with disabilities. So this comes from an open letter uh, that was recently published in The Vibes. Um, and the lead signatory for that, who is also going to be our guest in a short while, uh, was Dato Dr. Amar Singh. He is a consultant, pediatrician and child disability rights activist. Uh, he, alongside with 87 others, uh, wrote this open letter directed at media practitioners, MPs, um, politicians, um, essentially people who speak in the public sphere about issues um, and urge them to use terminology and language that is respectful when speaking about persons with disabilities. Um, And this, of course, is something that seems simultaneously um, perhaps common knowledge goes without saying. But in practice, um, as we've seen numerous times, not so easy. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with um, the the kinds of words that people have gotten used to using. A lot of it also has to do with changing mores of language that maybe you're not keeping up to date with. But what they're pointing out is that respectful and appropriate disability language actually acknowledges the dignity and celebrates the diversity of disabled persons. It doesn't reinforce negative stereotypes of derogatory labels that connote pity and lesser value, very importantly. And it recognises that disability is not a defining characteristic, but one aspect of individual identity and experience. So they also have three general principles, which we will, I think, hear from them directly on because we are very shortly going to be speaking with Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, consultant, paediatrician and child disability rights activist, as well as Beatrice Leong, founder of uh, ADA, that's the Autism Inclusiveness Direct Action Group. And we'd like to hear from you, since we are talking about using the correct language, using respectful, inclusive language when it comes to persons with disabilities, are you mindful of your language on this issue? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free minded. BFM eighty nine point nine. The business station. It is 5.11 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. We are talking today about an open letter that was actually sent to uh, media practitioners and a number, a whole host of people urging the use of uh, respectful terminology and language for persons with disabilities. And we are asking you, is this something that you're mindful of, um, the subject of your language on this issue? Let us know. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at PFM Radio. Joining us now to talk about this, we have Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, consultant, paediatrician and child disability rights activist, as well as Beatrice Leong, founder of ADA, that's the Autism Inclusiveness Direct Action Group. Uh, Dr. Amar, Beatrice, good to have you two with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. And I also like to say I also identify myself as dyslexic. So, um, Dr. Amar, actually, perhaps you could talk to us first about what drove you and your colleagues to write this open letter. I think that, there, you know, is the journey that we're on in trying to get uh, our society to become more cohesive and use appropriate language to each other. 
In the past, I have done some training with UNICEF and media practitioners. UNICEF enabled that. But that's only a drop in the bucket. I think we need many uh, opportunities to share how people with disability would like us to use language in addressing them. And I think that uh, there's been a growing awareness. There's been a growing number of disability activists. There's been a growing number of civil society organizations that are disability focused. And I think the time has been right for us to actually then put out this uh, letter to say this is how we would like to be addressed. Dr. Amar, you refer to, or rather the letter refers to three general principles of respectful and appropriate disability language. Could you uh, walk us through those? I think the first and most important principle is that you should address the person according to how they want to be addressed. I think that's that's critical. For example, uh, Beatrice is here who prefers being called B. Um, you know, uh, doesn't like me to call her a person with autism. She prefers me calling her autistic. Whereas I like to use the word, uh, the phrase a person with autism. But when I'm with B, I'm definitely going to call her autistic because she's comfortable with that. So I think there's a first and most important principle. Let's address people how they would like to be uh, addressed, the terminology they would like to. Huh? I, I think the, the second principle is that we don't want to use terms that are demeaning, that uh, that you know um, create a negative connotation of people with disability. I think the term that's used a lot by individuals, very kindly, is differently abled. They think that's a good word, or they might use challenged, for example. But these are not um, uh, good words, and of course they're very nasty words that people use, like chachat or mentally retarded or retard or, or things like that, which we completely want to remove from our, our vocabulary. Uh, some of these words a medical model, a model that we don't like. It it medicalizes disability, whereas we want to bring back a rights or a social model to disability. Okay, And the third is that uh, quite often disability is viewed in sort of a suffering or victim uh, mode. You know, you are afflicted with or incapacitated with, or, or look, she's sitting in a wheelchair. She's wheelchair bound. Actually, she's a wheelchair user. She's not wheelchair bound. So I think that's a third uh, uh, outlook that people have that we'd like to get away from. Uh, we want to recognize that disability is part of the person. Like, I've been dyslexic since young. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ever going to not become dyslexic. People have made fun of me, but I like people just to accept that I'm dyslexic. I'm also Amar. I'm a pediatrician. All these different facets, facets of who I am. And I hope that we will respect people with disability in the same way. So um, what are the biggest issues that you've both noticed in terms of how people with disabilities are spoken to and about, particularly by people outside of the community? Um, Beatrice or, or B, if I may, uh, perhaps you can start us off on this. I think for, at least for me, like I think Amar had rightly put it, like it's the preference of what you like to uh, be addressed to. And um, and from someone from the autism lens, looking at it, uh, autism especially for women like me who got diagnosed very late in life. It's very identity forming. So I'm not a person where I could actually put my autism down. Like, you know, just as Amar could not be without his dyslexia, you know, it is very identity forming. And because of that, being identified as an autistic person rather than a person with autism had been a lot more accurately to describe someone with my life experience. Whereas another person may not look at it that way. So I think that huge uh, principle is to ask, don't assume. And when you do that, it also means you are actually, not, um, yeah, it's, it's actually a form of acknowledging that that person is competent and is, uh, uh, is able to, to 
to to describe who they are themselves as the first hand of informant. So I find that because of that, the largest barrier had been when we don't understand this principle, we tend to think that we can speak for the disabled community that we, and especially for people with, I don't think people have ill intentions. I think people have um, great intentions out of kindness that they don't want to make you feel bad or make you feel down. But what it also does is they take away a part of an identity. And that's very, very important for any person who's on the minority side and the marginalized side. Um, so the, the barrier is sometimes to look into the area of how do you get people to understand that I understand that you're being kind or you think that it's helping, but actually it's a very internalized ableism that you, you know, our society had kind of built that narrative. So the taking back the narratives for us, for the disabled community, it's not as, it's very complex. <laughs> I think it's very complex. Yeah. Dr. Amar, would you like to add on to that? Uh, uh, please just call me Amar as B. I mean, I'm more comfortable with that. Uh, and uh, all the children in my care do that. I think that, you know, um, words create barriers. If we use negative words, they create perceptions and barriers. They, they shape the environment that we live in. So if I look at someone and say, oh, I think he, he's not really very bright and he can't think for himself. So I'm going to make decisions. For example, women with disability, when they come to uh, health settings, quite often people don't talk to them. They talk to their carer. Uh, they don't uh, ask them what their opinion is about what they want. They ask their carer what it is, which is very demeaning on that person. Yeah? One of my most defining moments in my life was when I was a young pediatrician. and I was managing this child who came in very ill. He had cerebral palsy. He was also blind and deaf, uh, and he couldn't uh, articulate. And I was going to be conservative in his management. He had a very bad pneumonia. I thought maybe I shouldn't do too much, you know. But mom insisted, and, and because mom insisted, I went all the way out. And when he had recovered, I recognized that I was totally wrong. This was a locked-in child. He had enormous capacities inside him, but they couldn't be expressed, and mom knew this. Huh? So I think quite often we judge the book by the cover to use an old... Um, phrase and that's the wrong way to do it. I think people with disability have a lot of opinions and capabilities and ideas and they're just part like the rest of us in society and we need to give them that kind of respect as B has been saying. If I may extend um, some of the points that both of you have made, how has the inaccurate use of language impacted the community in the past? And conversely, what would it mean for persons with disabilities when the right words are used? I think maybe I want to jump in on this. Um, you see, uh, as we said that, like we often look at disability from the medical lens and it's very deficit forming. So from very young, you would say this person can't do that. This person is unable to do this. This person is not enough of this. So imagine growing up as a child. These are all that you hear about yourself from the, your doctors, from your parents, from your teachers. And then these are the stories that, you know, newscasters use, policymakers use, or, you know, parliamentarians use, you know, which is very bad. And if these are all you hear about yourself, imagine what it does inside you, mm. you know. And I think it's very important that as we grow, as the society expands, as the society mature, and we understand more, and with technology now, you know, we should be able to be to hear from you know the disabled communities from their from from their very self, and with that we can't ignore that these pe these people don't have opinions anymore. 
So we also need to change the kind of language that we use to describe them, describe their experience. If it was okay before, because we said we don't know, it's not okay now. Because they've already told you that it's not okay. To me, I always use this word like it's willful ignorance. If you continue down that path, if you if you don't acknowledge that view anymore, yeah. Received... I'd like to add on. Add uh, yes, on to please that. do. Thank, thank you, Lynn. Uh, I'd like to add on that. What uh, B said is very important. It, uh, language creates a belief system. Uh, it's how you know the most important thing is not our brain so much, but it's in our heart. How we view the situation or view others is our belief system. So let's take a lateral example. If I'm constantly told I'm a minority in this country, I'm actually a pendatang. I'm just somebody who's been allowed to come and live in this country. Then I'm not going to feel a sense of belonging. A, a cohesion in this society. Whereas if I'm told, you're a Malaysian, we are Malaysians, we are here together, then you feel a sense of great sense of belonging, integration, uh, and I come back to this word cohesion again. So we are included. So I think words shape how we look at each other, how we accept each other, and what we think about each other's capabilities and our relationship with each other. So I think quite often we have a sort of a condescending uh, uh, you know, view of people with disability. We talk to them differently, we behave with them differently, whereas I would like everyone to behave with them just like we would with anyone else and, and treat them with the same kind of respect that we would treat each other. We have a question from a listener, CK. Um, it's actually a story that I think uh, can be developed into a, a, a bunch of different thoughts because CK says, I received a customer inquiry today who told me that he was OKU. I asked him, may I know about your OKU condition, please? He answered me, yes. Ah, I didn't mean to be harsh. I just wanted to find out... Um, what his condition is before I introduce the most suitable product to him. I have to find out about this before I recommend him for physical or online class, right? End of the day, I believe it's all about communication. Make yourself clear, give more direct and appropriate descriptions so that people know what you're looking for. And I think this is a pretty interesting story, partly because um, there is... Partly because I think sometimes there is an assumption about the level of communication that people can have, um, especially with these sorts of things. So I'm wondering how you would both offer um, advice to CK perhaps or, or comment on the story. Um, I'm always a believer in recognising all kinds of communications. So sometimes people may not be comfortable with just text or written or having to describe things in words, uh, whether it's spoken words or written text. Some people are better off at taking a photo to show you. And it and, and if we start to look at it that, you know, if we could accept different form of languages uh, when we start filling out forms, which took a while, if we start now to also look at how can we do uh, include like, you know, uh, lessening the barriers of people needing to do the label to answer the words like can they attach the photos can they have less invasive questions in a way that's more respectful then you lower the anxiety barrier and the, the, the ableism barrier also to actually safely disclose to you um, and that's something that I think we are all working towards uh, together in making um, making communication a lot more accessible um, you know, and especially for recognizing, you know, the deafblind community, how can we make it accessible for them as well? Or for the autistic community, like um, some autistics don't find speech, or, you know, so how do we recognize AAC as a form of valid communication? So once you make this available, people are naturally feel a lot more safer to let you know what are their barriers. But if we don't do this, it's 
it's tough, right? <laughs> um, yeah. B, actually, if I can follow up, uh, a sense that I'm getting from CK's message, CK, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, is also that there's a sense of discomfort in pushing further, right? It's like you asked, that person said yes, and then after that, you don't know how to um, find other ways to ask the question you need to ask. So I think I, I'm curious as to how this think, could have been, yeah. I think the current standard practice had been people don't ask what is the OKU, but they ask what are the accommodations that you need. So that you flip it around into giving them the power to let them tell you, uh, you uh, and a little bit of dignity as well, to let them tell you, I need this for me to be able to access this. So instead of asking, what is your challenges? What is wrong with you? You're asking, what do you need? So it, it kind of flips the narrative. Um, I, I mean, I, try, I do that in a lot of um, things that we do. We ask, what are the accommodations that you need? Amar, now in the open letter, you referenced the 2022 UN Disability Inclusive Communications Guidelines. Uh, tell us more about this. I think that the you know, international community has moved very far. Uh, we haven't actually as a country in many areas, including this area. So that guideline is an attempt by the UN to try and help all of us to Come onto, uh, come onto a better sort of a platform uh, for, for media, but also for general public, for politicians, for everyone. I must say this is an evolution. I think the kind of document we will see five years from now will, will be different. Huh? For example, in the earlier part of my working life, I use special needs quite a bit. I thought it was a nice word. It's a polite word to tell parents, but increasingly we recognize it's not a good word. It's a non-specific word. It has data suggests it has negative connotations. Uh, trying to actually describe the actual disability is a lot healthier for the parents and uh, for us in their relationship with them. So I think the United Nations here is trying to use those uh, guidelines as a means to uh, sensitize all of us, change our language, push us to have our own guidelines. So I'm, I'm very happy that Content Forum is working with us to try and actually generate guidelines for the media based on, on these UN guidelines. I, I'd like to add an opinion about CK. Uh, what B said about reasonable accommodation. I think that's right. Uh, let me take an example. If a lady had called up CK and asked him, I, I want to get some services here, would he have asked her, how old are you? I think many ladies might have been a bit offended. So he might have just said, I've got different kinds of services for people of different needs and ages and capacity. So if you could tell me, or maybe I could describe some of those and you could say which one fits you best. So that way he didn't offend her at all. So similarly, as B said, with the person with disability, he could have said, you know, I've got lots of different kinds of services and some may suit you, some may not suit you, or some I may need to adjust to your needs. So, you know, either you could have asked him to please describe your need, not a disability, just his needs uh, or what services he's looking for, or he could have described what I'm offering and see whether that person fits in. And that might allow the conversation to go further. I think let's not get paralyzed when we meet a person with disability and feel all like on... Uh, you know, on the, what is this, eggshells and scared to say something. No, I think we're going to make some mistakes, but as long as we're honest and, and our hearts are good, I think we're going to push past that uh, difficulty in our communication. We have a couple of minutes left with both of you. And a, a question has come in from Ro, who says, we live in a multi-ethnic, multilingual society. I'm curious as to how do these ways to refer to a person translate? And I thought that that was a fitting question following um, the, the notion of the United Nations Disability Inclusive Communications Guidelines. What do we have locally? Okay, maybe I'll start and then Amar could chime in. This is actually an area of interest of mine, something that I've been exploring for a while. And I find this to be the most unique because of how Malaysia is, because so many languages and the way we describe a lot of things and 
we are generally some uh, a, a society that uses a lot of oral stories to tell. So there are a lot of like intrinsic um, meaning and values to how we shape our language as well. And I, I wouldn't see this as a barrier. I see this as a uniqueness of how can we, Malaysian or even Asia, uh, shape the language we use for disability because how do we describe someone who like, you know, for like, again, referencing back to autism, you know, someone like me is called Anna Autisma or Anna Sugar. How do we overcome this in the changing landscape of what we understand about culture, about religion and how it, you know, how do you separate, um, how do you clearly define what is medical term, what is the cultural term and what is kinder and more accurate to reflect disability. And then you have the Chinese who would describe it also differently. And, and, and you know, it's all of this. I think there is it's such a treasure trove of even understanding who we are um, as Malaysians from this area, as minorities as well. Yeah. I think the key is respect. Uh, uh, language is an evolution. We all recognize that. Look at how much Malay language is borrowed from other, other languages, their words to describe things they don't have. Uh, our letter was larger in English with a couple of Malay words. We know that's a deficit. I, I hope with Content Forum and others, we can look at all the different major languages, not, not just Malay and Chinese, but Iban, Kadazan, you know, Bidayu and all the other languages, and then uh, help them also move forward initially with core good language and so on. So I, I think uh, language is important to all of us, whether it's spoken or in other forms. Huh? And I think as B said, storytelling is very important. And I, I like what BFM is doing and others are doing where we use storytelling. And one thing we like to say is talk about the average person with disability. Don't talk about the high-flying person with disability. We sometimes call that disability porn. You know, you're trying to say, oh, wow, he's got five A's, he's, he's blind. You know, we, we're just interested in the average person, just like we're interested in the average Malaysian. Can you imagine a boy who's caught four D's? I wrote an article once. I mean, he did so well. That was superb. His 4Ds are, wow, way beyond his capacity. But we don't talk about him because he's 4Ds. So I think we need to come back to talk about the average person with disability and uh, uh, consider this person as part of the Malaysian uh, society. Thank you. Amar B, thank you both so much for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Amar Singh, consultant pediatrician and child disability rights activist, as well as Beatrice Leong, founder of ADA, that's the Autism Inclusiveness Direct Action Group. And we've been talking about respectful and appropriate uh, language when it comes to referring to disabilities. You're listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Beating Fickle Mindsets, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.41 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. We started off our show today with a topic that I'm actually very personally invested in, both because of the work I do, but also because of an interest in language as a whole. And uh, that is the use of respectful and inclusive language when you talk about disabilities or persons with disabilities. And it is a, it's really interesting, partly because, as we alluded to earlier, a lot of it just comes from force of habit, I think. And that is partly why there was an open letter that was written to media pr practitioners, um, editors, MPs, state assemblies, ministers, and so on last month urging the use of proper and respectful terminology. And that had us asking you, 
is this something that you're you're careful about? Are you mindful of your language on this issue? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, let's start off actually with a voice note that came in from Raj. Hi BFM. Um, I think it's good that um, we're talking about this topic, and I agree with Dr. Amar that um, there should be more awareness. And what BFM is doing is is amazing. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, the man on the street, you know, they typically will have a lot of challenge in terms of knowing what is right, what is not right, what is politically correct and not. And also, to be honest, um, people tend to walk on eggshells when it comes to this uh, sort of um, uh, being right in terms of addressing a person who we need. Um, I think, you know, perhaps uh, one idea could be we could develop like a playbook or a handbook and that handbook can be shared and more people can be aware of this um, but at the same time I know people generally don't have that ill intention but just it's more of an ignorance issue so I guess <clears throat> we need to tackle that from that point of view so these are just my two cents. Raj, thank you so much for that. Um, so the actually there was a reference to this by our guests in that they're talking about working with the content forum. That's part of what this is as well, actually. So um, I think in terms of guidelines, there is that. We didn't have enough time to ask them um, a more direct question about it. But the sense that I got uh, from that interview was that a really good first start is um, is trying your best to accommodate the different modes of communication that people might have, acknowledging that somebody uh, who has autism, for example, might not communicate in the same ways, like just thinking about all those things and then asking questions and respecting what people want. I think um, it... It's not a handbook, it's not a guideline, uh, but those are some suggestions that maybe are good starting points. Um, I agree with you, Raj. I, I do think that by and large, a lot of people are more ignorant than malicious when it comes oh, to these sorts of things. Yeah. But I also think that in this day and age, there's so many resources available out there um, that actually, if one cares to, uh, it is actually quite accessible to be able to look these things up. Um, so we have a few messages on this as well. Lee Jun, for example, says a suggested term, differently able. So actually, um, the letter directly addressed this term and said that it's not preferred. Mm, yes, um, I believe it was under the segment where they talked about how people tend to use patronizing language when speaking about people with disabilities. Mm. Um, Edwin, meanwhile, says, honestly, I'm not aware or knowledgeable about the subject. It's like saying fat or skinny person. Uh, these are nouns, they're descriptive with no negative connotations, but people relate them to a negative message. And Edwin, I, I think if you want to make that argument about things like fat, skinny, um, you perhaps could, although... I, I would say that on the subject of um, on the subject of disabilities, it's a little bit different because there I don't think that the negative connotations are imagined or societal. I, I think that they really are very firmly entrenched in the word. No one really says chachat and means it well. I think you know it, it's not really been used that way. No, and often it's perhaps all too easy for us to be outside of that experience and say that word is not loaded at all. But only somebody actually living with that tag forced onto them would know what it feels like for it to be used against you. 
Denise, meanwhile, says we can always adopt other countries' policies to use the appropriate languages. Um, Denise, I'm not sure if you managed to catch the interview in which um, our guest, Dr. Amar, actually spoke about using the UN guidelines as one way of thinking about it. But the reason why we're discussing it in the local context was also because of follow-ups about language, right? We're a multilingual country. And so we can adopt other countries' policies up to a point. But then I think that it will start to fray a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And and I am glad that we managed to speak to them about how um, and why it is important. You talked about the content code and how the content forum is is in fact interested in coming up with ways in which the public can engage with this better. And I think that's definitely important. Um, John in Denver, who says the nomenclature between, let's say, person with dyslexia versus dyslexic person needs to be more widely discussed, perhaps through a conference open to public in order to educate citizens. Currently, the thoughts being presented are new to most people. Um, And I mean, I find that firstly, I agree. I think actually this is not just new, but it evolves, right? As our guest, um, Dr. Amar said earlier, I think it's okay to accept that what was okay few years ago may have evolved now. Um, And it is a collective learning process. I think the first step, though, is being open to acknowledging that this is important. Yes, but if I may, I think that one distinction here is that neither is wrong. So um, I I think understanding the difference between the two phrases, person with dyslexia or person with autism versus autistic person, dyslexic person, I I think that that, uh, the distinction and why some people might prefer a phrase over another, that's good to know. Uh, But the other thing I want to emphasize is that it's not necessarily, uh, because when we talk about evolution, it's not necessarily that one has evolved to become more correct than the other or one has Mm. become wrong. Um, Because actually, what both guests earlier emphasised was the importance of just asking the person that you're speaking to what they would prefer and then adhering to that. No, I completely agree. Um, I I think that I think part of that is also acknowledging that different, that people with disabilities, persons with disabilities are not a monolith. Different people may have different ideas of how they view themselves. For instance, uh, Cheryl says, I would like the term neurodiverse people to be used rather than people with autism, ADHD or autistic person and so on. Um, Cheryl, I'm assuming that refers to your personal preference um, and not necessarily the the term that you would use to refer to everybody. And, And I think that maybe that is an important distinction Again, maybe you and I, Sharmila, along with people on the station, people in the media think about it or should be thinking about it more than others because we talk about the issue to the public more. Um, But I think the problem with neurodiverse as a blanket term is maybe not everybody feels that it it matches up most closely to how they identify and how their condition makes them feel, for example. Mm. Well, Shafika is saying, how about from the communication point of view to educate the public about people with different abilities? Often this is where the missing links are. So, for example, why kids tend to bully people with disabilities because they've never been educated that people are created differently. Not just kids. This is also prevalent among adults. Yeah, I I think that this is uh, an important point. So the show today was very focused on language because that was the source of the open letter. But in general, if we're talking about the issue of awareness, I agree, Shafika, that this is a, a hugely important issue because you language is 
language matters, uh, but above and beyond that, the ways people treat each other, um, the ways people think about each other, even within a society, a singular society, that stuff I think we don't talk about enough at all. I think it's also interesting when we look at how important something like language or terminology terminology can be when it comes to changing the way people view others, right? Because the simple difference between um, doing away with certain words that are actively harmful but people still use um, and instead thinking about uh, people with disabilities as um, being equal, having an equal and deserved space that we share, I think that's a big step. Keep those thoughts coming. We're asking you uh, whether you are someone who is mindful uh, of your language when talking about persons with disabilities. And this is coming from an open letter that was written asking for more respectful and inclusive and appropriate language uh, when discussing this issue uh, when discussing people who have disabilities. So that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.